Good morning, church. It's so good to see you guys bright and early. I guess 9.30 is not really bright and early. It is for me. It is for me. Well, I'm Pastor Mandy, and I have the joy and privilege to lead our youth here. You've seen them on stage today. Aren't they amazing? They are incredible. Thank you. <laughs> but it's all of them. They're, they're amazing. God does amazing things through our students, and he's doing awesome things through this ministry. So before we get into the word, which if you have your Bible with you, please open to Acts. That's where we're going to be today. I want to tell you guys a little bit more about me. So I was born and raised in a Christian home. And from the very beginning, I was taught the importance of coming to church on a Sunday. My family and I went to church every single Sunday together. My parents went to Bible study every week. Some of their people that were in their study are actually here today. It's really fun and exciting. Yeah. Um, Oh, and hello to our online presence. You guys are here too. Glad you guys are here. So I grew up running around the church, you know, being a kid with your parents in Bible study. You're going to cause shenanigans, right? (laughs) So yeah, if you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about. My dad was a drummer pretty much every single weekend, and he would be doing late-night rehearsals, so once again, shenanigans around the church late night and midweek. <laughs> it's great. He would participate in the occasional chili cook-offs and would win sometimes. Very exciting, good chili. Mom taught Sunday school, and she was very involved in planning some of the conferences at our church. My sister and I were in plays at the church. We went to VBS. I think you get it. I was very, very involved in my church. I loved being at church. Basically, my church was a second family to me. And it was something that I really looked forward to. And, you know, my family, we had that reputation of, like, oh, if the church is going to have something, the Moors are going to be there. They're going to be there at the church. And they might be there late, setting up, tearing down. Who's t- who knows? But going to church was something that I looked forward to so much to where there was one Sunday, it's Christmas, I was a kid in elementary school, much like the little ones upstairs, and I didn't get to go to church that Sunday because I was sick. And it was devastating to me, partially probably because there was a cute little goodie bag that we got on Christmas Sundays. <laughs> you know, kids like stickers and stamps. But the other reason was because, you know, I just really loved my friends there. They were my second family. I just loved having fun there. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about Jesus and how he shows us a new family. And that new family is the church. So I want to ask you some questions. What is church to you? And what is your reputation Before I go further, I think we should define what church is. So when I was in Sunday school, we did this. I'm just going to leave that there. And if you know it, do it along with me. <laughs> Here's the church. There you go. Put your <laughs> Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. <laughs> I'm proud that most of you know that. That's awesome. So a lot of us refer to the church as this building, right? We're like, oh, I'm going to go to church. Like, I know I did that a lot as a kid. Like, oh, church is the place that we go to. Some of us use it to mean specifically Granite Creek. But as I learned, it doesn't mean the building. It means a people. In fact, the word that our Bible uses 
it translates church, it actually means gathering. So it's a gathering of people. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the church is described like this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Further down in verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. See, the church is a unique gathering of diverse people that are united in Christ. Over the past year, we've had a weird year. I think it's pretty easy to agree it was weird and not normal. We have had to redefine what church looks like. And we've had some pretty neat ways. We've had Zoom using technology to connect and gather over technology. We've had ding-dong ditch gift (laughs) drop-offs, birthday parades, all kinds of creative ideas to keep this gathering of people connected. Take it outside of the church building, and we're still the church. We're still that gathering of people. So in this series, the series on Sunday School, we've been talking about God's people being in God's place under his rule and his blessing. And through the promise of Jesus that Pastor Josh introduced us last week, God's place, which was the temple, a building, it's no longer a holy temple, but it's now a holy people. We, every one of us here, are now God's place. We are his people. So like I said, we're going to be in Acts 2, so open your Bibles to Acts 2 with me. We're going to be talking about Pentecost today. What? So another promise is fulfilled at Pentecost. We're going to pick up in verse 2. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Picture that. What a crazy picture that would have been. The sound like the blowing of a violent wind. How many of you guys have been involved in like a crazy windstorm? I think if you're in this valley, there's a lot of crazy windstorms, especially over like towards Rancho. For some reason, always at that Target over in Upland, there's always crazy wind <laughs> going to my car. It's crazy. But so picture that sound. To me, the picture is like the cartoon, like wind howling of like a Halloween night. I don't know why. But there's this sound of a violet wind, but no wind. And then one step further, there's tongues of fire that separated and rested on each other person. Picture each one of us with like a crown of fire in this room, that'd be wild, right? I wish the Instagram existed so we could see it, but you know, that's probably why it didn't exist yet, because I don't know. But the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled in this moment. The promise that we had seen in the Old Testament in Joel 2, 8, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. The Holy Spirit is officially here. So let's see what happens next. Verse 5. 
Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? It's because the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Language no longer separates the people of Christ. Jews and Gentiles alike are now God's people. Further down in Acts 2, it's the verse that Joel read for us this morning. Peter gives us a simple explanation of how you can receive the Holy Spirit. And it's this, Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God's people are no longer just the Israelites, but all who believe in him. God is calling together a multinational family of people, united in Christ. It's not just us here at Granite Creek, but it extends to Claremont, to California, to the U.S., and beyond. Anyone who calls himself a Christ follower is a part of this family because the church is one body, one gathering of people who are united in Christ. So think back to your last family gathering, the one with all the extended family, you know, the aunts and uncles, and then that one random guy that, like, your uncle knows from somewhere, but he's there, but, you know, he's part of the family now. Think back to that. Every family has a wide variety of characteristics, and I've listed some in your bulletin. You'll see the list. If you get the emailed notes, you'll see the emailed notes if you're at home. Um, If not, sign up so that next week you can get them. So I'm going to read these off to you. So picture a family, and these are some characteristics in families. Maybe yours has them, maybe yours doesn't. There's the always present enthusiastic one that's a million percent there and ready to go with anything. You just say, like, hey, let's do this. And like, yeah, let's do it. Win. Now, yes, let's go. There's the timid one, the one that maybe they feel like they, they can't fully be themselves around their family. There's the I'll be in the kitchen one. I was this at a lot of our family gatherings where you like to be there. You like to be a part of it. But you're like, I don't really want to be fully invested in the family gathering, so I'm just going to be serving in the kitchen and cleaning the dishes, like the only time I'm enthusiastic to do the dishes. (laughs) The quiet observer to where you're there, but you're not fully participating. Maybe you're just watching and seeing what goes down. The drop by for a quick minute one where you're like, I want to be like remembered and like people need to know that I'm a part of this family still, but I'm not fully invested to be there 100%. Maybe you're the hot mess one, where you just are sprinting to the family gathering, just barely making it there, your turkey's cold, just things are not together, just working on life. And then there's the black sheep, where maybe you don't want to go to the family gatherings because you feel like your family's super judgy and they're just going to tell you the same thing that you've heard over and over, which is, eh, you're not doing good enough. 
I'm sure that there's others that I've missed, so I've left a few blank spaces in your notes. If you want to make your own, go ahead. But think about which one you identify with most. If you're more than one, great. Be more than one. Maybe you're some, at some, like I'm the hot mess sometimes. Sometimes I'm the, I'll be in the kitchen. Yeah. Today, back to your Bibles, I want to talk about a former black sheep in our church family named Saul, who we get to meet in Acts chapter 8. So Saul was one of the religious elites at the time who was set on protecting the Jewish tradition. You see, just like I was born and raised in the Christian faith, he was born and raised in the Jewish faith. And for him, he was born and raised hearing about God's people turning from God, making mistakes, God getting mad at them and punishing them, and it's just being this whole cycle like we've talked about with our Old Testament weeks. So this is the world that Saul grew up in. So we meet him in Acts 8, and we're going to read verse 3. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is our first impression of Paul, or Saul, I guess that's the way it's going. It's not good, right? He's persecuting the church. It's not a good first impression. And for those of you who know first impressions are Big deal, right? Big deal. So he's established himself a reputation of violence and ill will toward Christ followers. So Acts 9, we see, we see Saul on the road to Damascus. And he got the thumbs up from the chief priest that, yeah, you can go ahead and go to Damascus and arrest as many Christ followers, as you want to, you have my full permission. So he's like, heck yeah, I'm going to Damascus. Gonna get a lot. And then verse 3 in chapter 9, it says, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I've seen lightning. I can only imagine what this light from heaven would have looked like. Verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will do what you must be told. What a moment Saul had. He got to meet Jesus, and he fell on his knees. I can only imagine what that moment would have been like for him. So shortly after this, Saul was blinded. Huge bummer. I like my sight. Huge bummer. But he was told to go to, to Damascus, and there he waited on God for three days. I can only imagine what a transformational time those simple three days would be. You're blinded. You just saw Jesus. And now you can just figure out, like, hey, God, talk to me because I can't do anything else. So while this is happening, a Christ follower named Ananias hears God say, go find Saul. Probably not the thing you want to hear if you're a Christ follower and you know his reputation of hunting down Christians. So Ananias is hesitant, rightfully so, because Saul's reputation is horrible. So Ananias says this in verse 13, I have heard many reports about this man. 
and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from chief, chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to show the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias goes find Saul. Can't say no to God, right? He restores Saul's sight, and then Saul is baptized. Shortly after this, Saul decides, like, I can't keep this to myself. I have to tell everyone about it. And he starts to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. What a wild transformation. But people see Saul doing this, and they're confused, probably angry, because once again, his reputation was that he went to that city that he's presently in to arrest Christ's followers. So he's preaching about Jesus to people that are confused and think that they're going to be arrested for him. So there's a lot of chaos going on in people. So they're convinced that Saul is still planning to arrest him. So some are so angry that they choose that they're going to try to kill Saul. So fortunately for Saul, he had some Christ followers on his side that believed that he had changed, and they help him get out of Damascus safely. So later we see Saul change from his Hebrew name of Saul to Paul, hence the confusion at the beginning. And he does this right before he goes on missionary journeys. Now, scholars believe that he chose to change his name to Paul because that was his Roman name and that that would be the thing that would connect with the people that he was trying to preach to on his journey. I think it's ironic that he chooses to change from his Hebrew name to his Roman name because of that tie that he had at the beginning of our story with Saul to his Hebrew and Jewish identity. But he chose to get rid of that Hebrew name for the sake of the gospel. A huge part of the book of Acts is dedicated to his missionary journeys. And a huge part of the New Testament is books that he's written to churches from his missionary journeys. So through this, through meeting Jesus on this road, Saul's reputation changed. It changed from one of being violent and ill-willed towards one of the most influential leaders in the early church. Saul did horrible things to the early church. Some people couldn't forgive him for that. But in his mind and heart, he thought that he was doing what was right. He thought he was doing what God had called him to do. But that was because he hadn't met Jesus yet. He hadn't had that encounter on the road to Damascus yet. He didn't know the truth that God was the Messiah. He was the son of God like he said he was. And yet in this, God still chose to use him. There was a place for him in the church. Because God knew all he had to do was meet Jesus and have that encounter, and he would be changed completely. But like we saw, not everyone recognized that change. 
and some people tried to kill him for it, and they didn't even allow him the chance to prove that he had changed. Here's the sad truth is that when we acquire a reputation or a label, it can be hard to remove it. But with God's help and the Holy Spirit's help, our reputation can be restored because there's no reputation that the Holy Spirit cannot turn around for his glory. So this past week, I posted a survey on our Claremont Connects page just to get a general idea of the reputation that Christians have in Claremont. So I think it's important to recognize that these answers were not specifically about Granite Creek Community Church, but about Christianity as a whole, as the people in the city of Claremont perceive us. So if I could get the first slide up. These are the survey demographics. I don't know if you can see it super well. That's unfortunate. There we go. So we've got Christ followers over here, which is this lighter blue. We've got about 50% Christ followers, about 44% non-Christ followers. That's the middle of the darkness blue. And then other, which is just people that didn't want to give themselves a specific label, is about 5%. Yeah, it's like yes or no. I don't know. It's funny. Um, so yeah, so this is the survey demographic. These are the people that answered the questions. So the colors are also going to coordinate with the following slides. I, I will repeat what they stand for as well. So if we can get the next slide. The first question that I have um, is, what is Christianity doing well? Um, once again, the super light is non, or sorry, is Christ followers. The other dark one, which is actually more towards the right, so that one, is the non-Christ followers, and then we have other. So I'm not going to draw specific conclusions for you, but I'm going to say my impressions of this data. You guys can draw your own conclusions. Um, for me, reading through this was really heartbreaking. I did kind of expect it a little bit from... Um, non-Christ followers, but I think seeing how many people chose none of the above from Christ followers, that was really heartbreaking to me. Um, yeah, so this is a really hard survey to go through and, and realize, but I was very encouraged by the, the top two, which is relationships and outreach. I think that of all of those Christians and non-Christ followers, I would say that those are the two that I would want to be the top. So that was really encouraging. And then good theology, as you can tell, like if you don't come to church, you don't really know if we have good theology or not. So there's a lot of Christians that say there's churches with good theology. So that's wonderful. And I'm very happy with that. Um, yeah. So let's go to the next slide. The next question was the opposite. What is Christianity not doing? And I am not very surprised with these either because of our last, everything that's been going on in the past year. I mean, it's going to reflect in the survey because that's how people are seeing. So politics has been very big in the church this last year. So a lot of people are like, Christianity's not doing politics well. In fact, in this survey, there was an open-ended question section that I just let people say whatever they wanted. And there was a huge 
overwhelming response of people talking about politics should not be in the church. In fact, I feel really unincluded, which is our second big one, because I feel like if I'm going to be talking about politics, I have to say that I'm Republican because Christianity somehow become Christianity equals Republican. And so anyone who thinks differently has been feeling very isolated. So it was a very interesting commentary on that. And then we also see, like I said, inclusion and justice are the next big things, which makes sense to me because of everything that's been happening over this last year. So if I could get that last slide shown. I mentioned that there was some open-ended comment sections, and these are some of the, the things that really stood out to me in these open-ended venting, I guess you could say, was their section. Um, I think the top one, top left, was really the most heartbreaking to me. I'm not going to read these all. You can read them. Um, but I miss Christianity. I really do. One of these days I hope to return, but not until I feel like I can follow both my heart and head there. All right. Heavy stuff. Sorry about that. But here's the truth, is that I feel like we need to know what people think about our faith and what, I mean, what we think about ourselves, too. Like, I didn't just pull a bunch of non-Christians, but these are the things that our city thinks about Christianity, both Christians and non-Christians alike. Now, just to repeat, it's not a specific survey about Granite Creek. I know every person has a different experience that they're pulling from. So they could be talking about our church. They could be talking about another church that has done a lot of these things very differently than we have done here at Granite Creek. But my point in showing you all of this data is this, is that the church is a gathering of people. It's not one isolated building. We are part of the church. We are not the whole church. If I was to slam my hand in a door and break my hand... Guys, when I wrote this, I was like, please don't let this happen to me this week. <laughs> I was so afraid. I was like, don't close any doors. But if I was to do that, and if I was to break my hand, I've never broken a board, a bone. Thank you, Jesus. But I imagine that there would be pain coursing through my entire body. I would probably be in shock, and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And then I know from my friend breaking her hand that it makes things that are usually easy, not so easy, like putting on your pants. It's really hard. I, she's like, can you help me button my pants? I was like, never thought about that. I guess if you only have one hand, that would be really difficult. So you have to use creative ways of doing things that probably make your muscles sore. Fact is, it has a greater effect. It doesn't just affect your hand. It affects everything you do, your whole body. In a similar way, the reputation of Christianity, it affects us all. Because when Christ followers have a bad reputation, when Christianity has a bad reputation, it makes people hesitant to have that road to Damascus experience. We want them to have that road to Damascus experience. But sometimes our reputation can keep them from doing that. And here's another example. How many of you guys go on Yelp? 
If I'm looking for a place to eat, and especially if it's a new place, I'll go on Yelp to see, like, hey, is this place any good? Do the same thing with Amazon products. And if I go through and they're like, oh, well, the server was really mean and the food was cold, like, oh, that's a bummer. Let's see what the other person says. Oh, the server kicked me out and they threw my cold turkey at me. Like, okay, let's see, that's got to be an anomaly, right? And if there's bad review after bad review after bad review, I'm going to find a different restaurant. I'm going to say, that's not the place for me. I want to go somewhere where I'm actually going to get the service that I want and the delicious food that I want. So reviews matter. People's opinions do matter because Jesus can be something that they say no thank you to if they've seen bad experiences. A psychologist, so I, I majored in psychology, so I love research, as you can tell. You know, A psychologist by the name of John Gottman has done a lot of research on positive psychology. He shows that it takes five positive actions to counteract one negative action. I mean, you can even equate that to the reviews. If you get one negative review, I'm going to be looking for probably more than five, but at least five to counteract that one negative. So when I was in high school, I was in AP Psychology, and one of our assignments was anonymous poll, much like this one, but different questions. This one was specifically about risk Risky adolescent behaviors such as like sexual activity, substance abuse, drugs, cigarette smoking, huge variety of things. And when the results of this were made public, I was a very sheltered child, <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, my classmates do what? Oh my gosh. I thought it was going to be zero on all these things because, you know, a lot of the people, their illegal activities, I'm like, what? Crazy, I know. <laughs> Don't be like me, I know. <laughs> I, well, maybe not when you hear the rest of this story. <laughs> so during the discussion portion, one of my classmates revealed that she participated in some of these activities. And I was not shocked at that because I had stereotyped her I was like, oh, she's a cheerleader, she's popular. Oh, yeah, I've seen movies, party crowd. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, see, maybe don't be like me. So I stereotyped her. And then a little later in the year, she said something in class about being a part of Young Life. Young Life is a parachurch organization, which means that they don't specifically belong to a church, but they do ministry. And they run youth group at school campuses or in home. Um, it's actually where I started doing ministry was through Young Life. It's kind of fun. So I heard that she was going to Young Life, and that shocked me. <laughs> Why was it easier for me to believe in the bad things that she had done over the change that she found in Jesus? Yeah. Don't be like me in that sense. <laughs> this negative view that I had over my classmate, made it difficult to accept her. And it made me feel like she, I was stuck thinking that she couldn't change. But see, the truth is that I was born and blessed, blessed and, I was blessed to be born in a Christian family, going to church every Sunday, 
crazily deeply involved in the church. I was so blessed to have that because this family of church people, they kept me from doing things that I would regret. But see, this girl didn't have that. She was born and raised in a family that they were like, oh, that's okay if you mess up and like something bad happens, like we'll, we'll address it then, we'll take care of it then. She didn't have the kind of protection and people watching out for her like I did. And see, it's things like young life, like she needed that because she wasn't going to be a person that walked onto a church campus. Church campus was not for her. But being around something that was comfortable and being preached to where she was at, being shown Jesus on that road to Damascus where she was, that was what she needed. So what I learned from this story is that it's hard for us as people to accept change, but it's not hard for Jesus to accept change. See, through encountering Jesus, everyone can experience this change. We've seen it in Saul. We've seen it in so many other people. So what role do you guys want to have in this family of Christ followers? On your bulletin, you have that list of characteristics. Pull that sucker out. We're going to look at this list differently this time. We're going to look at this list as a list of reputations of people within the church family. So there's the always enthusiastic one, 100% involved and ready to go. Like my parents when I was growing up, they're ready to go with everything. They're going to be there for anything and everything. The timid one, maybe you feel like you can't fully be yourself as a part of this church family. The I'll be in the kitchen one, where you're like, I want to be involved, but behind the scenes, and I don't really want to be in the conversation but I want to be serving in the very, very background. The quiet observer, where you're here on a Sunday morning maybe, but you're not completely invested. The drop by for a quick minute one, just to make an appearance. So, you know, you want, maybe you want Jesus to remember you. You want Jesus to be like, don't forget me, I'm, I'm still here, but you don't want to commit to long term. Maybe you call yourself a Easter Christmas Christian where you're not fully invested, but you're there on the important holidays. Maybe you're the hot mess where you feel like, ah, I can't, church, I don't know. If I'm too real, they're going to see all my craziness and they're going to know how big of a mess I am. Just don't have it together. It's okay to not have things together. Please don't have things together. You'll make me feel bad. Maybe you're the bored one. Maybe you're just waiting for me to get off stage and for this to be over. <laughs> Maybe you're the black sheep where you feel like you can't be real because people look down on you. Maybe you feel like you're, you have to stay home because people in the building will look down on you and make you feel bad. Maybe you're, whatever your blanks are, there's still blanks there, so fill in a blank if I didn't describe something that's you. So we're going to get interactive, so pull out a pen or a pencil or marker. I want you to underline the characteristic that you think you have now, the role you think you play now. 
Then I want you to draw an arrow and circle the role that you would like to be. Band and ushers, if I can have you guys start making your way to the front. See, with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to change from where we are now to where we want to be. I'll say that again. With the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to change from where we are now to where we want to be. We have the ability to change not only our personal reputation, but together we can change the reputation of Christianity. If you saw those, those survey slides and you're like, ah, I hate that. That's the worst. I don't want people to think that. Be a part of the change. Because being a part of this gathering of believers is something that we have as a free gift. And because of Jesus that we talked about as this free gift, we get to be a part of this legacy of Christ followers. It dates all the way back to this book of Acts. There's room at the table for everyone. So right now, I want to transition into our time of special offering. So as Pastor Josh alluded to, we're going to be taking our special offering for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today. We have brothers and sisters over there that are ministering the gospel to people who need it. The Taliban, much like Saul, where they're black sheep, they haven't seen Jesus yet. And these people are fighting for them. So that's what our special offering is going to. So if you feel led, please give back to the church and let's pray over our offering. God, we just invite you into this partnership with us, Lord. Just bless this offering and bless your people that are doing your work. Lord, keep them safe as they minister your word. And God, just keep their names anonymous, Lord, so that they can keep sharing your word, Lord, and just help change the Taliban's reputation, Lord. We know that you can do it because we've seen you do it, God. So we just say thank you and we just ask for more. In your name we pray, amen. So I mentioned that there's room at the table, and I want to invite you to the table this morning. I'm actually going to take us on a little field trip. I want to direct your attention to this beautiful painting that we have hanging in our church every Sunday. 
I think it shows the beautiful uniqueness of the gathering of the church. See, this is where communion first started, at the Lord's Supper. Jesus invited every single person to this table, and now the extension is offered to you. Field trip back to the stage. (laughs) So if you have your little cup and your little wafer at home, you can go ahead and grab anything. um, Sounds good to you. God can use water. God can use wine. God can use grape juice. The whole point is that this is all a symbol. It's not actually magically becoming Christ's body. We're not cannibals. We're not actually drinking blood. It is all a symbol of Christ and his body that was broken for us on the cross and his blood that was shed for us. And we take communion together to remember that, to remember the sacrifice that he had for us. So I want to invite you to take the body of Christ with me. And as you drink the juice that represents his blood that was shed for all of us, I just want to invite you to just recognize that he chose you. He chose you to be with him in this moment. No matter where you are on that road to Damascus, maybe you're like Saul was at the beginning where you're still Saul. You haven't met Jesus yet. He still wants to meet you, and he still died for you. So this is his blood that's covered you and protected you. So let's take the juice together. So God, I thank you so much for communion, the chance that we have to be as a community at your table with you, Lord. So God, we invite you with with us to our week, Lord. Just be with us. Keep us safe. God, I just thank you so much. In your name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may he meet you on your road to Damascus. Have a great week, everyone.